Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. And we're live. Unknown number of takes later. This could be the first take. Or it could be the fifth. Who knows? It could be. How are you today? Fantastic. We had a little nap revival at yeah. 8 p.m. You're pulling a me. That's I, a me move. You love 8 p.m. naps. I can't usually do it, but I just, I didn't really nap. I more rested. But anyway, this is not you important rested. at all. Okay. So you didn't totally copy me? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm original is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Thank you very much. Anyway, tell the people what the poll is for July, for what episodes that we may tell on the Patreon, depending on what the people say. Sure. Yeah, I put the poll up a couple days ago. So option number one is I titled Lost in the Rainforest. I don't know if we're actually going to call it that. But the description is two close friends head for the Amazon rainforest and get lost in the jungle. They have to survive the dangers of the jungle and hold on to their sanity as they find their way home. Wow. Well, I was going to say this is you hate the rainforest. Um, Like not its beauty, but the bugs. Oh, well, of course. And, like, the wildlife and the danger and... I've always said, you know, I don't want nature to touch me. If I'm choosing to touch nature, that's cool, but I don't want it to touch me. It's a very consensual... Consensual. It requires consent. I have to give it. Otherwise, eh, not for me. Um, Anyway, number two, option number two, is Ashley Reeves. Ashley Reeves was found nearly dead in the woods of Illinois. Samson Shelton... A teacher had choked and tried to kill her and left her for dead. So this is our true crime option. And then, yeah, that's extremely intense. And then number three is the Texas A&M University bonfire collapse, which the description is, At approximately 2.42 a.m. on November 18th, 1999, the annual Aggie bonfire at Texas A&M University collapsed during its construction, killing 12 people and injuring 27. So these are options for July. All three are insane stories. As of right now, the rainforest option is winning. So we'll see what happens. If you want to check that out or vote on them yourself, check out our Patreon. Anyway, we know this. We love it. Would you like to talk about the story this week? I would. Let's jump in. Okay. You mentioned that I don't like the rainforest, and that's very true, but I think it's just I'm scared of nature in general, and this has a lot of nature in it, so... Okay. And it's like the worst combination of things, too, because it starts with a plane, and then it becomes nature. Oh, this is the story that you put on the close friends list? It sure is. Okay, yeah, it's a combination of a bunch of your fears. We have the water. Yeah. We have a plane crash. Yeah. We have fish. Oh, yeah. We have terrifying uncertainty yeah a lot of stuff a story arc correct love it let's get into it jim holly and jens lundy had always been very close friends for their entire lives they saw each other more like brothers than they did friends and they decided to ask their fathers to join them for a weekend fishing trip to mexico jens had a pretty strained relationship with his father he hadn't spoken to him in a couple of years and it was strained like i said and jim (laughs) right and jim also wanted to be closer with his father so they decided that inviting their dads would be a good opportunity to hopefully have some bonding and maybe a turning point in their relationships it had been three to four years since jens had even seen his father and they never really spoke on the phone either they had definitely just drifted apart and jens said that when he called his father bill He wasn't necessarily perceptive to the fact that he was looking for some father-son bonding time and was trying to work on their relationship. Bill was mostly just interested in the fact that he said that they were going to go fishing. He's like, oh, fishing? Cool. I'm a dad. Um, And Jim... (laughs) I'm going to go do dad things. I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to go fishing, of course. Jim had gotten off to a pretty good start with his dad, though, because, you know, Jens and Jim were setting up their little plane that they were going to all get on and then jim was gonna fly it to mexico and then they were gonna have their like little weekend fishing trip so they're they're getting ready and then their fathers pull up and they you know each respectively go to their father and greet them and kiss on the mouth as you do with your father but (laughs) jim was having a good start with his father 
He was the pilot in this situation, and the men were going to fly Jim's small plane from Mesa, Arizona, down to Loreto in Mexico for their fishing trip. Jim had been flying for about three years at that point and had over 200 hours in the air, but this was the first time Jim's father would see him fly. So as they were loading up this small plane... I'm just... <laughs> what are you laughing This is at? the first time his father would see him fly into and the, the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> and crash. <laughs> Literally. So they were loading up this small plane and Jim's father, John, told him how impressed he was with Jim. Jim had been meticulously checking the plane before they would fly because, you know, safety protocols. And his father had no idea his son had to do that before every single flight. And when Jim was younger, his father knew him to be someone who liked to get things done quickly, even if it meant cutting corners. So he enjoyed seeing his son care about something so much. Is there perhaps a little disappointment under that from the father? I don't think so. That may have led to the strained relationship? I mean, possibly, but I think he was genuinely impressed with his son, like, growing up and becoming a pilot and, like, seeing him in his element kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. For Jens, getting to know his dad again was a little tougher. Jens was a little less meticulous with his planning as well. His job was to buy life jackets for all of them, but he got the cheapest ones for $4 a piece at Walmart and even thought, if we don't use them, I'll just bring them back. So he was trying to save a quick buck and even was like, maybe I'll just return them. You're not even going to drop 20 bucks? Nope. On something that could save your life? Nope. And we're going to talk about these life rafts. Oh my God, dude. As soon as they hit the water, everyone just looks at him. I mean, please hold. We're going to talk about it. So they actually didn't have much at all for emergency preparedness because the plane was very small and they were flying with four people, a large cooler and all their fishing supplies and obviously their jank ass little life vests. But there wasn't much room for anything else. The group took off at 5.30 a.m., and after takeoff, Jim was still impressing his father with his flying. And unlike Yen's father, Jim's father, John, understood that this was a good opportunity for bonding, so he was doing just that. He was, you know, talking to Jim and, like, telling him how proud of him he was. Like, he's like, wow, this is incredible. You can fly this plane. That's amazing. And it was just a very wholesome moment for Jim and his father. Love that. Yeah. Jim had realized something wasn't quite right with the plane and decided to stop off at Ryan Field, which was a small airport west of Tucson, to see what was wrong and if it could be fixed, which was not a great way to start their trip. But the avionics shop at Ryan didn't open until 8 a.m., so they had to wait for it. The technician did end up sorting out the problem, and it was an easy fix, but by the time all was said and done, they were able to finally start their journey at 12.30 in the afternoon. The flight to Loretto would be three and a half hours, but even though the flight was kind of long, it would be worth it because the waters in the Sea of Cortez were abundant with marine life. There was plenty of tuna, marlin, and yellowtail, which was great for fishing, but it was also home to about 150 different types of sharks and a giant Humboldt squid. Humboldt squid. Well, multiple Humboldt squids, but like... Multiple. Yeah, they're, like this area is known for giant squids. Bro, have you seen a giant squid? Not in person. But you... Well, no shit. You don't ever go in the ocean. Yeah, because giant squids live there. Hello. They're terrifying. Yeah. And giant? You're telling me these things as if I don't okay. already know well, they're terrifying a, and giant? That was a stupid comment. It but sure you know, was. You know what? I'm moved to fright by the giant squid. And to top it all off as if one type of shark wasn't enough we have 150 yeah you're shaking in your boots over there you're like you ever seen a giant squid they're giant and terrifying yeah have you ever seen a shark it has teeth yeah king i know okay right john was having a great time in the air like i said he enjoyed the scenery up there they had clear skies with some scattered puffy clouds the water was beautiful and he was taking pictures out the window Jens, on the other hand, was in the back trying to take a nap while listening to opera on his Walkman. Early days. Yes. What was he jamming out to? Opera. L- opera? They said that, yeah. Okay. He was listening to an opera. I missed that. And he was just trying to, you know, tune out what was happening because he and his dad were just not having nearly as much fun in the back. So it's he's an like, interesting I'll, just, choice. I'll take a quick nap. I'll take a quick beat, listen he- to some opera. Exactly. 
About 30 miles out from where they were supposed to land, Jim started to see clouds and dark skies forming. He called down to ground control and asked what the weather was like in the place where they were supposed to touch down. And this was the first sign that their trip wasn't going to go as planned. Jim wasn't sure if he needed to go around these dark clouds forming or if he could just go right through. And since he believed it was only a squall, meaning like a short storm, he told the guys they would be able to fly right through since that would be much faster. But what he didn't know was that he was flying them directly into a violent storm. Right. It was definitely very alarming because the conditions they were flying in deteriorated very fast. Now they were flying through darkness, rain, storm clouds, and it wasn't getting any better. Jim said he had no indication of how bad it actually was until they were in the middle of it. And Jens, of course, woke up from his nap and asked Jim what was happening because now they're flying with a lot of turbulence and lightning strikes around them and rain and it's it's loud. So the storm was getting worse by the second and they had incredibly bad turbulence, like I said, especially in a small plane like that because the smaller the plane, the worse you feel the turbulence. Can they like turn around? I mean, yeah, I guess, but he was trying to just get through it. Mm. Jim looked around to see how everyone was feeling, but they were all staring back at him to figure out if they should freak out because he knew better than them, which reminded me of like any time I'm on a plane and I like am in some kind of turbulence or like something scary is happening. I will always look at the flight attendants to see if they're scared because if they are, then I'm going to be scared. I'm already scared, but I'm going to freak the frick out. Yeah. <laughs> freak the freak out. Freak the freak out, man. <laughs> yeah, if Leslie, the flight attendant's scared, you are going down. Yeah. But also they're, like, trained to not show any kind of panic or fear because then it'll... Everyone looks yeah, at them. Yeah, of course. They know everyone's looking at them because they're the they're the staff. But anyway, I always still look because I'm like, are you showing any As sign a, of... Are you sweating Are you a cracking? Little? Are you cracking a little bit? No, they never do. But Jim kept it cool. He was like, I'm not going to show that I'm scared because I don't want them to freak out. So he was just focused, you know, laser focus. Jim decided their best bet was to fly up and hopefully out of the storm. And as soon as they were higher, the sky got blue again, the turbulence stopped, the rain stopped, and everyone felt better. Although that relief did not last very long at all. After only a few moments, the plane stalled and the engine quit. Bro. Literally the worst thing that could possibly happen, happened. The propeller at the front of the plane was stuck in the vertical position, which meant, you know, it wasn't moving because it was a propeller plane. <laughs> and so it was just, it was just standing there, not moving. It was stuck, meaning that it was not moving. We're having a hard time talking today, which is upsetting because we have a podcast, but here we are. Hey. We don't claim to be perfect. No. But we're going down. We're going down real fast, too. I mean, just get out and push it. Just push it. Start (laughs) it up again. Jens, understandably, started to freak out and asked Jim, what did you do? And he asked if the engine could get started again. And Jim kind of put up his hand. He's like, hold on, let me figure this one out. And there was silence in the plane for a few minutes before Jim told them he could not get the engine started again. So, like, how far above the clouds are they? I mean, they must be, like, a High fair up. way away. Yeah, because they had to fly above the storm. So they're above the clouds. Yeah, but my, like, how much time do we have here? Uh, quite a bit of time, but also, like, you're gonna fall. You're falling. You're actively falling. You're no longer, like, flying. I mean, they were going fast enough that the plane was still gliding. So mm-hmm. they weren't just completely, you know, falling out of the sky. They weren't free falling. But they had no engine, so... They were going to crash. Right. Jim called for Mayday and gave his coordinates, but he wasn't sure that whoever he was calling even heard it because he didn't get a response back and he didn't have an engine. As Jim looked around, he saw the shoreline on one side, but the other side of the windshield was just open ocean, so there was really nowhere for them to go. He told the guys that he was going to take them back into the storm. That way the winds would slow the plane down and lessen whatever impact they may have with the water. But that was a risky plan because if the airspeed dropped too low, the plane would literally just fall out of the sky. So they needed to keep some level of speed. Otherwise, they're free falling. They're done. Right. Here's a really ridiculous quote from Jim that I just had to put in here. So Jim, the pilot, said... 
when the airplane quits flying, that's bad. That's <laughs> usually... <laughs> Wait, hang on. When the airplane quits flying, that's bad. That's usually when you get severely killed when that happens. Severely. <laughs> and I said... I wrote underneath that, as opposed to lightly killed, Jim, my boy. <laughs> Jimmy boy. You get severely killed. Okay, well. They knew that they were going to crash into the water, and as the plane got lower in the sky, they could see the waves, and they were really bad, because they would be crashing into the ocean that was in the middle of a bad storm. So it's a, it's kind of a double-edged sword, because he's like, I'm going to fly us into the storm to slow us down so that we don't have a killer impact, literally. But also, we're going to land in the ocean in the middle of a storm. So once we get in the water, we're still kind of fucked if we don't just die upon impact. Not many good options. No. As they got closer to the water, Jim instructed his father to unlatch the door, and then he told them to brace themselves as they prepared for impact with the water. Jim was trying to remain calm, but he didn't know if when he hit the water, they would just be knocked unconscious and they would all die right there. Upon impact, he just didn't know what was going to happen. But both of those options seemed extremely possible as they got closer and closer to hitting the water. And then, boom, they hit the water. But instead of nosediving deep into the water, Jim managed to kind of water land the plane, and they were sitting on top of the water. Each week, I speak to inspirational people. Each one of them has been on their own remarkable journey. They've all chosen to share their stories with one aim, that if people can relate and get comfort from it, if it can help someone. As one of my guests said, there's so much going on in the world. We should be focusing on helping one another and making each other better. Each one is a superhero, not because they have special powers, it's because in spite of what they've gone through, they keep on going. I find them remarkable. Please listen to Chatterholic and hear their stories. Oh, so he like executed it more or less like perfectly. Yes. If they're floating. Yeah, no, he completely killed it. No pun intended. <laughs> like, actually, I didn't mean to say that. But but yeah, no, he did the best he could have possibly done. Like, he landed them on the water. The plane was floating for now, like, was going to sink. But he didn't just nosedive them into the water and then, like, into the depths, which we love. We love that very much. That's super sick, dude. I know. Very skis. I know. Very skis. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Hey, you're square, bro. I, I always think of you saying super skis, and so that's sick, and then I said, yes, very skis. <laughs> I don't know, we're we're in the 80s probably. Square is a thing. <laughs> yeah. Bring back square. That's a fun one. Yeah. What a square. So like I said, the plane was sitting on top of the water, but they knew that that wouldn't last because planes, believe it or not, are not designed to float. Wow. Yeah. But also, nothing happened that they expected to happen, and they were all okay for the time being, which was great. And John unlatched the handle and kicked the door open, and all four of them undid their seatbelts and decided that they need to they needed to get the hell out of there. Jens, John, and Bill all get out, but Jim was still sitting in the pilot seat, completely stunned by what had just happened. And what he did, because uh, how do you wrap your head around that one? You're like, I just landed my plane in the middle of a storm on top of the ocean with no engine. Hey, you know what? Ice in the veins. Seriously. So Jens, of course, screamed at him to come on. They needed to get out. And so Jim finally got up and all four of them were on the wing of this small plane and put on their cheapy life vests. Because remember, $4 a life vest. So not great. Nobody's saying anything, but everyone understands. Yes. The wind was whipping, the waves were huge and crashing, and it was dark in the sky and in the ocean. It was terrible. The airplane began sitting lower and lower into the water, and in just a matter of minutes, the men had no choice but to grab a hold of anything that may keep them afloat and jump into the terrifying ocean. As the men floated with their life vests and their cooler, because they had this cooler that they were going to bring fishing with them, but they decided to take it out of the plane and take it with them off of the plane to use as kind of a flotation device... So as they floated with this cooler, they could see only the tail of the plane sticking out of the ocean at that point. The navigation lights were also still on, so they could literally watch the plane as it sank into the depths of the ocean. Isn't that terrifying? Whoa. 
Yeah, you're like literally watching your lifeline just die. Not only that, but like the entirety of the ocean that you're in is completely black and you watch like the outline of the plane just sink lower and lower until it completely disappears. That's so scary. As they were floating there, John thought about the Titanic and how those people must have felt. He was looking at their little aircraft sinking and it was the only thing that they had. Like you said, it was their lifeline. And he, in particular, was having a really bad time because he couldn't get his life jacket on and he could barely breathe with the water whipping into his face. The life jackets that Jens bought were for children aged 12 to 15 and were approximately 100 pounds. So not for men. It's not even Could the kind that like... It's not even the kind that like you actually put on like a vest. It's the kind that's like shaped like a horseshoe. You know what I mean? It's like a like a. It just goes around your neck. It goes around your neck, and then you like have a rope that like connects it to your body, kind of thing. Bro. Yeah, it's like those little orange dinky ones, you know. So he didn't even get what they needed. No. Even if it was, and they're shitty. Yeah, and and there's something that was like, oh, if you are gonna be like not floating with them for very long, then that's fine. But it's definitely not for like a survival situation, like an emergency situation, you know. So not good. It's pretty safe to say that Jens was definitely regretting trying to save a few bucks. Jens and Jim seemed to be okay in these smaller life jackets, but their dads were definitely not. Jim's dad was by far having the worst time and could barely stay afloat. He was able to get his shoulders through the little straps of the vest, but he kind of had to wear it like a backpack, which isn't great because then it makes your back float and puts your front into the water. They survived the plane crash and ditching the plane, but the fight for their lives was only just beginning. The Sea of Cortez is more than 90,000 square miles of open ocean with barely any boat traffic and lots of dangerous predators patrolling those waters. In a storm? In a storm. But right now, the most immediate danger was the storm. The waves and the wind were absolutely horrible, but they also had a lot of lightning striking down around them. John said it looked like telephone poles. That's how thick they were. And it was striking down around them, and he was terrified, not knowing how close they had to be to them to become a danger. Each bolt carries up to 100 million volts, and the salt in the water actually helps conduct the electricity. So if a bolt strikes even several feet away from them, it would immediately kill them. You're looking pretty shocked over there. (laughs) (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) I'm killing it on accident. That's... You're two for two today. I'm two for two, baby. I'm like, is there anything else that could kill them? Let's, oh, so many things that can you know, kill them. Besides the sharks, the squid, the lightning, the ocean, dehydration, the lack of dehydration, <laughs> hypothermia. Take your the plane pick. crash. The plane crash. Right, drowning. Can, is there another one? You're about to. Uh, I uh, think that's all of them. Ah, uh, okay. I think that's enough. <laughs> but that's closer to death than I feel comfortable being. Who's comfortable coming anywhere near? That that's the joke. That was... I'm going to strangle you that was in your sleep don't no don't do that jim was getting increasingly concerned for his father because john had been staring forward almost in a daze at that point it had been an hour since they got into the water and their situation was becoming desperate until overhead jim heard the heavy sound of a helicopter in the distance they opened their cooler and pulled out their yellow flippers to start waving them over their heads because that was all they had. They didn't have a flare. They didn't have anything else other than these neon yellow swim fins. And that meant that Jim's Mayday call had gotten through, which was great news. But? But as this helicopter started flying toward them, they then very quickly heard it flying away. Great. And quieter, which means that they didn't see them. It was dark. It was storming. And they knew that they weren't coming back. He couldn't believe that he didn't equip the plane with a flare. He's like, of all things that I could have used in this moment, I wish I had a flare. But, oops. At that point, it was getting to be late in the afternoon, and the thought of them surviving out there through the whole night was really terrifying. John was already losing his battle with the waves. He had swallowed so much salt water to the point where he became violently ill and started throwing it all back up. He was totally out of control. 
Jim was trying to comfort John through the waves, and even in that situation, John was trying to tell Jim to not feel guilty for getting them in the situation that they were in, because he was feeling a lot of guilt. Jim definitely felt like this was his fault, which it wasn't, really. I mean, the engine failed, so it's not like that's his fault, but I can understand why he was feeling guilty. He did fly him into the storm. Very true. But I don't know that the storm was necessarily the reason it failed, but also who knows that it wasn't the reason. You never know. Right. The answer's at the bottom of the ocean now. Very true. This was all incredibly scary, and Jim didn't want to watch his dad die, but there was very little that he could actually do. And to make matters worse, John's vomiting was making him dehydrate extremely quickly. And if it didn't stop, that alone could kill him. So there's another thing we can add to the list of the things that could kill him is vomiting. Jens was also terrified that they were all going to have to watch John slowly die. So he reached a decision. He called to Jim and then had them break away from their fathers for a moment so that they couldn't hear their discussion he told Jim that he needed to try to get to shore to find help because he didn't believe anyone was coming for them. And Jim's response was, okay, let's do it, meaning both of them go swim. But Jens told him, no, he needed to go alone. That way Jim could stay behind and take care of both John and Bill. Jim told him it didn't make sense and they should swim together, but Jens had already made up his mind that he was leaving and he needed Jim to stay to take care of their fathers. He told Jim that his dad may die, and if he did die, then Jim needed to take care of Jens' father, Bill. And he said he also told Jim that he was the best swimmer and he would take the swim fins to help him. He was so insistent, and the logic made sense to Jim, so he said okay. Jens then told Jim to stay broken away from their fathers until he was far enough away that if his father saw him swimming away, he couldn't then go follow him. It wouldn't make sense to And they figured this was the best plan because then it gave them two opportunities to be found and they each knew where the other was so they could send help to whoever needed it. It's not a bad plan. No. I've been thinking this whole time, can you like be switching off life jackets to kind of give John a little better of a chance of keeping his head above water? Like, I don't know if you can kind of tread water for a little bit, like just for a minute. Not really, because... They're in a storm and they need them to like stay afloat, you know, like if you were just treading water out there, even if you're a strong swimmer, you can only do that for so long. But thankfully, they did have the cooler. So Bill and John were kind of holding on to this cooler and it was floating enough to help them stay above water with these shitty life vests. Gotcha. And yes, it is a good plan, but also a terrifying plan because think about being Yen's swimming away from your best friend and your father and not knowing if you will ever see them again. Because it's like, you don't know if you're going to die, but also if you make it, you don't know if you're going to make it in time and you don't know if they're going to die because you're both in really terrible situations. Yeah, but also imagine crashing a plane into a storm. Very true. I can't imagine any. You're right. As Yen swam away, Jim could see him and then he couldn't and then he could and then he couldn't because the waves were so big And before he knew it, Jens was really far away. Jens only had a vague idea where the land was. And if he made a mistake, he could swim even further out to sea. Once Jim couldn't see him anymore, he felt incredibly lonely, but also in awe at Jens' bravery. Because he knew that he wouldn't have the guts to go do that himself. He's like, I didn't want to be alone swimming for God only knows how long. So like, it took a, a lot of guts to go and do that. Once he swam back to their fathers, he broke the news to them that Jens had gone for help. Of course, Jens's father, Bill, was heartbroken because he didn't want his son to be by himself out there, but at that point, there was nothing he could do. Jens said when reflecting on this that he was doing it because his father never believed that he was strong, and he wanted to show him that he could do this and that he had grown up. Oh my god. So this is, this is like daddy issues. Yeah, there's like a whole... There's a lot more motivating this swim than just like, we need to get help. It's like, I need to prove this to my dad. That's insane. I know. You're going to literally risk your life to prove to your dad that you're strong. Yeah. But I mean, if he didn't do it, who knows if anyone would ever find them because he didn't think they were looking for them. I mean, they're not anymore. They flew over. Thankfully, though, Jens was swimming in the right direction. But what he didn't realize was that land was 10 miles away. 
bro. Which is almost an impossible swim in such treacherous waters. And even if he did make it, a dangerous reef would be the last thing that he had to swim through. The men had been in the water for eight hours at this point. Jim was trying to calculate how far Jens could have made it in that amount of time since he was still wearing a watch, but there was no real way to know. Jens was still going, but he was making very slow progress. He had flipped over onto his back and was kicking his legs while holding onto his life vest. He had no idea how far he had made it or if he'd even have the strength to make it to the shore, but he was still going. Although he was extremely over it at this point. As he fought the waves, he lost more and more hope that he'd even make it. He was completely exhausted. I mean, imagine swimming for eight hours straight through, like, an extremely rough water. I don't know how he's still going after eight hours. Like, he must be an incredible swimmer to be going for eight whole hours. And a hell of a mentality. Just needs dad's love. That's sad how motivating a factor that is. I know. Jim's dad was also exhausted and completely dehydrated. His condition was getting worse by the minute. But there was nothing Jim could do to make it better. It was just extreme helplessness. As night fell, Jens swam on. At this point, it had been somewhere around nine hours. He was so tired, but the storm had let up a bit, and he could see stars as he swam on his back. He thought about John, and wondered if he was still alive. And as he was thinking about him, he saw a shooting star go across the sky, which he had always been taught was an angel, which made him believe that John had passed away, which definitely affected him greatly, but gave him this new kind of determination to help his father and his friends, hoping that John was still alive. But as Jens swam, he felt a sharp pinprick, and it kept happening. To his horror, he realized that he was not alone anymore. No. Jens? No, stop it. <laughs> A giant squid now? Not yet. <laughs> Jens had swam directly into a swarm of stinging jellyfish. Which Bro, is what? Which is bad, but not as bad as a giant squid. Yeah, I was, I guess. That's painful. Can you die from a jellyfish? Yes, definitely. Yeah? Mm-hmm. You definitely can die from a jellyfish, depending on the jellyfish and how much you get stung. Um, and he how? didn't know which jellyfish these were. How do they kill you, though? Venom. It's Oh, like, it's venom. Yeah. But it's on your skin. You want me to call up a marine biologist? I just know yeah. that certain jellyfish can kill you if they sting you. What, what's so hard to grasp here? I got questions. Okay. <laughs> okay. Should we move on? Yeah. Okay, great. He was getting stung all over his body. And they even got into his shorts, which is mm -mm. not a place that you want mm -mm. jellyfish. And this pushed his already exhausted body to near total collapse. Out in the open water, the storm had also subsided, but all John, Jim, and Bill could do was wait. They had no idea what could be lurking in the dark ocean beneath them, and I'm sure they didn't want to think about it. They didn't talk about it because there was no way to get out of there anyway, so why scare yourself? And as they were floating there, Bill felt something warm brush up against his leg, and he knew for sure that something else was there with them. He didn't know what that something was, but Jim knew the kinds of things that were dangerously lurking in these waters and wondered if something had been stalking them. One of the worst things that could have been stalking them was the giant Humboldt squid. They are extremely large and aggressive and completely capable of killing a person. They're very easily provoked into a frenzy, and if you're in the water when it happens, it can be very dangerous. Mexican fishermen call these squid Diablos Rojos, meaning red devils. They can grow up to seven feet long and weigh up to a hundred pounds. The squid's powerful tentacles pull its prey into its mouth, where it tears it to shreds with its razor-sharp beak. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> I wasn't scared enough already. Thank you. No problem. I When I read this and like wrote these notes, I immediately called my mom and was like, <laughs> I was like, listen to this shit. <laughs> because this is one of the scariest things I could ever imagine. And it's only 100 pounds, but it's seven feet long. I'm sorry, did it's you just, just say like... only 100 pounds? Well, it's I mean, I'm more than 100 pounds. I understand, but it's a squid. That's, well... And it's seven feet tall. Think about how big seven feet is. Yeah, it's like That's an alien. Huge. That's a giant squid. 
I'll see myself out. <laughs> oh my God. I think we've fixated enough. Uh-huh. Thankfully, though, whatever was around these men seemed to have gone away, and all they could do was hope that it didn't come back. But, like, he felt something warm. Oh, he felt something touch his leg, for sure. Like, swim past it. Yeah, no. So, through the night, they talked on and off with long periods of silence, and Jim recalled, quote, about three or four in the morning, I made a joke saying, anybody seen Jaws? But his dad said, let's not even talk about that, and that was the end of that subject. Damn it, that bombed, didn't it? Um, I would probably drown Jim myself if he did that to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what do you talk about? Not like... sharks. Literally anything but sharks. There's so many other things to talk about in this life. Why would you talk about sharks right then? You know, it was on the dome. He knew full well that there were 150 different species of sharks in those waters. And he was like, you ever seen Jaws? You like jazz? Like, are you dead? <laughs> are you dead? Well, I mean... They're about to be. Anyway... Jens, by that point, had been swimming for 10 whole hours. Poor Jens and his poor little legs. He was almost at his breaking point. But that's when he heard something. There was this noise that happened every few seconds, and he couldn't quite tell what it was. So he stopped swimming and tried to control his breathing to make as little sound as possible to then listen to try to figure out what he was hearing. And that's when he realized that he was hearing waves breaking on something. And the closer he got, the louder it got. He still couldn't tell what he was swimming toward, but he knew that it was some kind of land. As he was swimming toward the sound, he smashed his knee onto something solid, and he hit into this rock really hard and cut his knee completely open, so now he was bleeding. He also could now see that this rock was completely covered in sea urchins, and they went right through his swim fins and into the bottoms of his feet, completely cutting up his feet. So now he was bleeding from his knee and the bottoms of his feet, of his feet as he tried to stand on this rock. That was the first solid piece of ground he had stood on in like 12 hours. So he's like, I need to stand just for a minute, even if it means sea urchin in the foot. Yeah, this is bad news. This is bad news. I didn't know they were that sharp. They go right through a fin. Sea urchins are horrifying. I don't like them. They're pointy. <laughs> they're sticky pointy. I sense a theme with you. They're so scary looking. They're literally, they're just spikes. They're made of spikes. They don't move, though, babe. They're ugly. <laughs> don't patronize me. Babes. <laughs> babe, they don't move. Well, are you dead? Yes, they move. They're alive. I mean, not that fast. It's like being scared of a snail with a spike. <laughs> I'm just picturing a snail with one single spike. <laughs> and I'm like, Charge! <laughs> Although Jens had some kind of relief standing on this rock, he also realized that he was still nowhere near dry land. And he also realized that if he was standing on that rock and he was still hearing the waves breaking on something, that meant that there were other rocks nearby. And if he continued forward, he would be swimming right into just a playground of rocks. Like he, there's no possible way he'd be able to swim through these rocks and not get torn to shreds. He had reached the reef that I mentioned earlier, full of dangerous tides and sharp rocks. And he knew that he had to get off this rock and swim back the way he came because there was no way he'd be able to make it through, which was very disheartening because you never want to swim backward into the open ocean. But he had no choice. Back in the open sea, John had stopped vomiting finally and ironically, now Jim, who was the youngest and fittest of all of them, was in the most danger. He was feeling the first effects of hypothermia. It was somewhere around 3 a.m., and Jim hadn't slept in 24 hours. He was extremely tired and thirsty and hungry. And when Jim asked Bill and his father if they were cold, they told him no. But Jim couldn't stop shivering. He had to rest his head on his dad's shoulder and told him how sorry he was, that he had gotten them into this mess. And John told him he did everything he could and he landed the plane and they were still alive because of him. Which is a very wholesome moment. Also very true. Very true. All Jim wanted to do was get out of there and go home to his wife and his kid. He was trying to fight the cold by using more energy, but he had so little left he wondered how long his body could keep that up until it completely gave out. It had been over 12 hours since they had to ditch their plane and all of them were losing hope that they would even make it through the night. The only glimmer of hope was Jens making it to shore, but they had no idea if he was even alive. 
Jens was still struggling to make his way through this reef, but finally, after two hours, he saw something off in the distance. As he swam further and further south, he not only saw land, but he also saw a light. It was a fire from a Mexican fisherman who had camped out on the beach. And he did make it to shore, but as he came out of the water, these two fishermen were understandably wary. Someone coming out of the water in the middle of the night seemed fishy. <laughs> and that pun was intended. But for real, they thought that he was possibly a drug smuggler. Jens didn't speak enough Spanish and these fishermen didn't speak any English. Um, and he tried to tell them that his friends were still out there, but he realized pretty quickly that they weren't going anywhere that night. All he could do was sit on a rock with a blanket that they gave him and cry because he felt like there was nothing he could do at that point. And also he was so exhausted. It had been 12 hours of nonstop swimming. Yeah. They also gave him tortillas and some water, which he greatly appreciated. Back in the open ocean, Jim's condition was deteriorating and all they could do was hope that Jens had made it. And even though he had made it, any kind of help was still a very long way off. And now we're going to go into day two. Dawn came. It had been 18 hours since the crash, and the sun did bring the men some kind of relief, but still they were in the middle of the ocean, so... Well, at least he won't die from hypothermia? Yeah, they were lucky. Gratitude. <laughs> Grat Jim. Have you ever tried gratitude journaling? Hey. <laughs> Jim? Jim, buck up. <laughs> they were lucky to be alive, but their situation was still very bleak. They were starting to doubt that Jens had made it and that there was going to be any kind of rescue. Jim was starting to think if they didn't try to swim west, they might just die out there. This whole time they'd been holding on to their cooler to stay afloat, but Jim told them they needed to make faster progress. And the only way they would do that is if they let go of the cooler and started swimming. The men were definitely wary of this suggestion because they knew that they were not as good of swimmers as Jim, but they also knew that they needed to do something. So John listened to his son, but Bill didn't want to let go. And as they swam, they looked back and realized that Bill was now 50 to 100 feet away from them, still holding onto the cooler. And that's when Bill realized that he was basically stationary with that cooler and realized that he also needed to swim to make any kind of progress. Did they communicate at all? They did, but Bill was like, I don't want to let go. And then they started swimming. And then Bill was like, oh, I'm actually not moving anywhere. So then he was like, all right, I'll swim. It was just like a stubborn dad thing. Okay. He was like, I don't want to. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I, I understand a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to leave the lifeline. Right. But they had been out there for almost an entire day. They were exhausted and hungry and dehydrated. And who knew how long their swimming would even last before their bodies gave out. Back on land, these fishermen guided Jens onto their boat and he had no idea where they were trying to take him, but he stopped trying to communicate because of how frustrated it made him. Instead of heading out to look for the others, they took him south. They traveled about a mile down the coast, stopping at a dilapidated abandoned house. The elderly gentleman who called this place home spoke English well, and he knew who Jens was because he had heard the news of this crash on the radio. The fishermen explained that they didn't have enough gas to get back into town and that Jens would have to find his way back on his own to, like, you know, notify the police. But Jens pleaded and promised that he would pay for their gas even if he had to get the money wired in. And eventually, they agreed to take him and they arrived at the, at the Loretto dock at about 7.45 a.m. He notified authorities who then started a search effort. But they didn't take Jens with them, so all he could do was sit there and wait. And while he waited, he decided he should call Jim's wife. When she answered the phone, he was so nervous for this conversation that he started with, Hey, Cheryl, how you doing? <laughs> but then he told her that things didn't turn out the way that they planned, and Jim and both of their fathers were still missing. Why is it funny? Because he's like a nervous wreck. He's like, Hey, Cheryl, what's going on? How's your day? Wait, what did you say earlier? Hey, Cheryl, how you doing? No, no, no. That was like nerdy. Very skis. <laughs> it's giving very square. Howdy, Cheryl. Things are very not skis anymore. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, everyone reacts differently. But yeah. like, I can't imagine the whiplash that Cheryl felt in that conversation. Oh my God, can you imagine? It's like, oh, how's the fishing trip? Hi, Cheryl. Yeah, I actually... You're 
They all might be dead. <laughs> Actually, your husband might be dead and your father-in-law and my dad. Anyway, what would you have for lunch today? <laughs> the three men had been swimming for hours, you know, on the second day. So now they're way over a day. And Jim was worried that his dad was pushing himself too hard. John had a laser focus to swim to shore. He was convinced that no one was looking for them. So he was either going to make it to shore or die trying. He, he wouldn't even stop to like look back or talk to anyone. He was just like freestyling to shore as hard as he possibly could. That's metal. It's pretty metal, but like also don't kill yourself, John. I mean, yeah, but I admire the attitude. I get that. Off in the distance, Jim saw a helicopter approaching them once again. And he screamed to his dad to stop swimming, but he kept going. John, stop swimming for Christ. <laughs> the, the chopper's here. Get to the chopper. He had such laser focus that it, he wouldn't even stop for a helicopter. He's like, I'll make it there before the helicopter. <laughs> I'll do it. But Jim screamed again to his dad to stop swimming. And he did finally stop swimming when he actually heard the helicopter. And when it got to them, it circled them for a moment. But then it flew off in the direction that it came. Um, excuse me. Which? Where is the rope ladder? There is none. Excuse me. There is no rope ladder. I know. Knock, knock, knock. Where's the rope Where's ladder? Where's the ladder? I know. They couldn't believe it. Why would they just circle them and then fly away without giving any indication that they saw them? They had this exhilarating experience of seeing the helicopter and they felt so good. Like the highs were extremely high, but then being left again was the most hopeless thing that could have happened to them. After that happened, John just kept swimming. He was like, you know what? I'm a swim. Fuck him who needs him. Exactly. Fuck him who needs him. And he kept swimming. But not long after that, Jim had to physically stop John from swimming because he saw off in the distance that there were boats coming toward them. The helicopter search crew had alerted the Mexican Navy and they were coming right for them. So this helicopter was just like a search. It was not a rescue. So we'll forgive them. But they could have they could have used a little like horn or something to be like, hey, we see you or hola, Give just anything, little, uh, you know, <laughs> just a, a little anything like. Give him a little shake. You know how the, like a candy bar, like give me something. If planes see you, they'll come back around and like wiggle the wings. Yeah. Give them a wiggle. They could have thrown down you know? a water bottle. Yeah, throw down some uh, actual life vests. Yeah, right. Literally from Target. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of Walmart, we give you Target. We are up like we're very high class. Instead of having them for children, they're teenager life vests, only slightly better. A hundred and twenty pounds. <laughs> The men could see on the deck of the boat that there was a large group of sailors and they were all cheering on the boat as they got closer to them. They were so happy that they found these men alive. In so many of their missions, they turn up dead bodies and they were so relieved to found these men alive that some of the young sailors were even crying. Jim was so relieved, but still had a fearful moment when he thought, what about Jens? Did he make it? Is this because of him or is he still out there? The three men were pulled out of the water and brought to the shore. As Jens was brought back down to the dock, there were a group of people waiting there and they were all clapping as he arrived as well. So as he got off the truck, they applauded him and he kind of looked around. He's like, wait, they're, they're clapping for me. Like he didn't realize that they were clapping for him, but he was, he's kind of like the, the hero, you know? And when he got down to the water, he saw that his friends and his father approaching in a little dinghy. They were all so incredibly happy to see each other. Jim was the first one off the dinghy and hugged Jens. And then Jens's father hugged him and told his son that he was proud of him and he loved him. And that was the first time his dad had said that to him in years. So all you have to do to get fatherly love is swim 10 miles <laughs> in the open, dangerous ocean through a storm. Get caught up by sea urchins and then finally make it to the shore. What, like it's hard? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure Bill got a little perspective a little out of bit. this experience. I'm sure he did. But God, what a high. Seriously. At that point, Jens really did feel his father was proud of him, and they knew that Jens was their hero. Why the engine failed on the plane is still a mystery that has yet to be solved. So th they truly have no indication as to why that happened. It should not have happened. Even though he flew through a storm, your your engine is not supposed to fail. So they don't know right. what happened. It's not like it was his fault. And this is the story from Boeing. Right. It's not our fault. We it's don't know what happened. It's not our fault and we do not claim liability. Exactly. 
Since the ordeal, Jim and his father have since been back to Mexico for a fishing trip. Jens and his father stay in regular contact. And despite this ordeal, Jim and Jens still go flying together. Of course they do. And that is the story of their fishing trip sent from hell. I don't have a ton more information about where they are today, but is that not an insane story? That's crazy. I can't believe that they landed the plane so perfectly to the point where it floated for multiple minutes. Yeah. That's insane to me. And talk about a marathon. Seriously. 10 miles. 10 miles. Over 12 hours of swimming through a storm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're lucky that they didn't get caught in a current. Yeah. Because then it just would have straight up been impossible. Right. We were just talking about that. That was our, our last Patreon episode. Right. Old news. Check it out. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the mental place he had to go to to like get through that is incredible. Yeah, that's insane. You have anything else to say about it? Giant squid. Giant squid. Giant squid. (laughs) Well, they didn't even get attacked by a giant squid. It was all a mirage set up by you. And this was all just a big ruse. El Diablo. We never we never came in contact with El Diablo. I'm sorry, did you Diablo Rojo? Did you want Diablo Rojo? Well you kept talking about it so much I thought we were gonna encounter one. Yeah, because I'm a storyteller. We got got stung. (laughs) I'm a storyteller. Gotta keep them hooked, baby. What about the hundred and fifty species of sharks? They're down there. I didn't lie. You're skeptical? You don't I'm, like I'm it? I'm very skeptical. You wanted right someone now. to be attacked by a giant squid? No. 150 that, different species of sharks. No, no, no. You wanted them to each take a bite? How is that possible? Anyway. Yeah, I, this is the hill I die on. What is your good thing? <laughs> you go first because I've not prepared one again. Fine. My good thing is that we went to this new wine bar and it was very good because you just go up to the counter and you're like, I like this type of wine. And then the server is like, ah, yes. I'll give you this random bottle that you can taste out of like the 300 bottles of wine that we have, which is extremely fun. And I enjoyed the shit out of it. So it was a good spot. It was really good. Um, My good thing is the same night, but um, I don't know. We just had a really good hang. Yeah. Good good, conversation. Good friends. Good food. Good Good vibes. Good vibes overall, dude. Anyway. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to check out all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at not today underscore podcast. If you would like to take part in our poll and vote on our next bonus episode, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash not today podcast. If you have a story that you would like to share with us and hear on an upcoming listeners episode, send it to notodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.